Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Austin Common Radio Hour. I'm your host, Amy Stansbury, and today we're talking about homelessness, and specifically something called the point-in-time count. And what is that? Well, the point-in-time count is basically a survey, or a count, of all the people experiencing homelessness in Austin. It's done every other year on one night, during which hundreds of volunteers literally travel around the city counting the number of people living on Austin's streets, in the woods, and in our parks. And it's important because it gives us a better understanding of homelessness in Austin, how many people are experiencing it, who is experiencing it, and how that population has changed over time. It's also required by the federal government in order to receive funding from the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, often called HUD. But it's also not a perfect system. Point-in-time counts were put on hold during the pandemic. They're also only conducted like on that one specific day. And in general, they don't always capture the full complexity of the issue. So to explain all of this for us in a little bit, we're going to listen in on an interview I recorded with Akram Alturk, who's the Research and Evaluation Director for ECHO, the Ending Community Homelessness Organization. And that's the organization that actually conducts the point-in-time count for Austin. But before we get to Akram, here's a quick rundown of some of the key points from the 2023 point-in-time count, which was conducted on January 27th. And the data for that was actually just released last week. Okay, so here are a few key points. Uh, 2,374 people were experiencing homelessness, at least as counted in the point-in-time count. Um, Of those, 1,266 were experiencing what is called unsheltered homelessness, meaning they were sleeping on the streets, in tents, or in cars. And then 1,108 people were in shelters, or transitional housing. Now, this number of 2,374 was slightly lower than in 2020, but higher than in 2017, 2018, and 2019. Uh, Black people accounted for 32.8% of the people experiencing homelessness counted during the point-in-time count, which was slightly less than in 2020, but still means that some significant racial disparities exist. Austin as a whole is only 7.25% Black. And finally, 2,374 people counted during the point-in-time count is likely an undercount of the actual amount of people experiencing homelessness in our community. ECHO also has on its website a dashboard with monthly data updates about our city's homelessness population, which derives from multiple sources, including data from service providers. And the latest data from that dashboard puts the number of people experiencing homelessness in Austin at about 5,400 with 4,561 people unsheltered and 839 sheltered. So what does all of this actually mean? What are you supposed to make of all this data? Well, I think now is a good time to bring in Akram Alturk from ECHO. Let's go ahead and give that interview a listen. All right, I'm here with Akram and we're talking about the point in time count. Um, so let's just start from the beginning there. What is the point in time count? What does that mean? Yeah, so the, the point in time count is a survey that's conducted every two years here uh, locally, but also across the United States. Uh, all communities uh, across the country uh, conduct the count uh, to, to really get a sense of the scope of homelessness to, um, in their communities. And, and part of that information or that information is used to 
compare the count uh, again across communities to, to get a picture of how many people are experiencing sheltered homelessness, which means that they're staying in a shelter or transitional housing, and how many people are, are experiencing unsheltered homelessness, so they're staying, you know, they're living in the street um, or on the streets. And so, and this is the point in time count is, is mandated by um, the Department of Housing and Urban Development HUD. Um, and, and which requires the count be done every two years. Um, and and it's, it's been required by HUD for the last 20 years or so, um, in part um, for funding purposes. So HUD provides a lot of funding for local homeless services. And one of the things they want to see is that communities are conducting the count again to understand the scope of homelessness in, in our local communities. Right. And so the way it's conducted is is kind of interesting, right? So it's like one night. Um, is it the same night for every community across the country? It's it is the same week across okay. the country. So it's the last week in January. Um, and part of the reason for that or the main reason for that is um, HUD wants to do to be able to do a comparison at the same time of the year uh, across the country. Um, and the other reason for that. And then why it's done in January is because um, homelessness usually peaks in shelters when it's the coldest. And so mm. that's why it's done in the winter. Um, and, and it's done in the middle of the night. And, um, and the main reason for that is because we want to try to um, not have duplication and we don't want to double count folks. And so, so, and that's why the unsheltered count is done in the middle of the night. Okay. And so, and also the way it's done too, it's a lot of volunteers help with this, right? Like hundreds of volunteers in Austin will literally go out into the streets at night and, and count, right? How, how does that work? Exactly. Yeah. So in the, in the months leading up to the count, uh, ECHO, um, we, we uh, work with our local service providers and local community to, to prepare for the count. And so we're doing a number of different things. Uh, we are making sure that we've, we've got maps of all the different sections of, the, of, the, of Travis County. We, we make sure that we get enough volunteers to do the count. And so this year, for example, more than 700 people participated in the count. Um, they were broken up into seven, 74 different geographic sections. And so each of those sections had a team lead that would reach out to them and, and uh, to kind of update them on how things are going and the, the prep work. We also, for each of the volunteers, we ask them to come to a training session and so to kind of really understand what the point in time count is, why it's important, et cetera. And so, yes, we try to do as much kind of volunteer engagement up front. Um, and, and that includes having people come to um, ECHO office, for example, to, to create the care kits. Because one of the things we're also interested in doing is we want to make sure that people are more aware of homelessness and, and the issues that come with be, being homeless in Austin. Um, but we also are, are you know, providing care kits to folks. And, and part of that is also to, to let folks know how they can access some of the services that are available right. here locally. So that that's part of the care kit. And so that's another way to, to that volunteers help us out uh, in moving right. up to the count. 
Yeah. And then, you know, just one more quick question on, on the kind of logistics of this. When you're doing, volunteers are doing the point in time count and, you know, meeting with folks in the middle of the night and, you know, counting them kind of like a census, I guess. It, you know, are you also, folks also getting, like, talking to people? Like, you know, like how much information is exchanged or is information about, you know, individuals' names or if they need medical care or, you know what I mean? Like you mentioned giving the services, but um, just for local service providers, is there some kind of data gathering happening there? Yeah, or no? it's it's a minimal amount of data gathering okay. for, for the unsheltered count. And, and part of the reason for that is because, you know, this is a very vulnerable population. That, right. Um, and, and, and volunteers are just, just like me, I'm not, I, uh-huh. honestly, I'm not, I'm not trained to provide the kind of services to folks or to have long conversations with folks about their needs. And so one of the things we want to make sure is we're not re-traumatizing people in the process mm-hmm. of doing the count. And so we, we really try to limit the number of questions that we ask to the, the ones that we have to report to HUD. So, so right. after the count is conducted, we report a bunch of the data or most of the data to HUD. Um, and, and we do ask a couple of extra questions that are just specific to our local community, to Austin, but, um, but we tr- really try not to do too much because again, we don't, it's in the middle of the night. Right. Um, and, and so we, we really want to minimize that amount of um, re-traumatization or just again, because we're not trained to do so. So yeah, that's, that's part of it. Yeah. Right. Okay. And then. Um, let's talk a little bit about what some of the data was out of this one, right? So this is the first point in co- time count that had been conducted since 2020, right? They had been on pause uh, because of the pandemic. Um, let's go over kind of, I guess, the the top findings, right? I'm trying to pull up my own thing here. So I think it said 2,374 people experiencing homelessness, Um 1,266 people sleeping unsheltered and 1,108 people in shelters, right? That's right. Okay. And how does that compare to, you know, the last time we've done a point in time count? Yeah. So, so last time we did the point in time count was January of 2020. So right before the pandemic hit. Um, And, and the, so the, the numbers in 2023, we, we see an, an overall slight decrease in the number compared to 2020. Um, but I think there's, you know, some, some nuances in the data that would, I think uh, would be um, helpful to kind of go through. And, and one of those is that um, sheltered homelessness actually went up uh, a little bit this year. So, you know, like you said, there's 1100, around 1100 folks were staying in shelters this year compared to 932 in 2020. So that number went up a little bit. Um, the unsheltered count, the number of people who were counted on that night um, living on the streets, did go down uh, from about 1,574 people in 2020 to 1,266 in 2023. Uh, so there was a de- decline in that number. Um, and I, there are, yeah. I'll, I'll yeah, yeah, you know, I, I was going to ask about that because, right, I think to a lot of folks in Austin, you read that number that maybe things are down from 2020 and that doesn't seem right. You know, that's like not what we're seeing on a a daily basis. And so you talked about some of the nuance there. Why would that be? You know, I'm sure you get that a lot. It's like, uh, that's, that doesn't seem like what I'm seeing. Right. 
Yeah. So I think one other thing to note here before I answer that is that, you know, that the number that we saw in 2023 was still the highest number we've seen in the last 10 or more than 10 years. Right. And so aside from 2020, right. So 2020 was the highest number we had seen in about 10 or 15 years. Um, And so, so the general trend is that homelessness has gone up in recent years. Um, And I think to, to, more specifically answer your question, I, I think one of the main takeaways from the, some of the findings that we have from this year is that it, you know, it seems to us like visible homelessness has gone down, but based on our administrative data, and I can go into detail there, uh, based on our administrative data, more people are seeking services uh, than we have ever seen mm-hmm. in the past. And so um, I think a big Part of that is that people are trying to stay out of sight a little bit um, because of the camping bans that are both, you know, both at the state and, and local levels. We've, um, we're, uh, you know, we reinstated the camping ban, and so that is, we, we don't know for sure that that is the reason that the number has gone down. The unsheltered number has gone down since 2020, but we suspect that people are really trying to be kind of out of sight. Um, and not as visible as, as they were in 2020. Um, one thing that we did really look at, and I think one of the main benefits of doing the point time count is as I, it's the, one of the best ways to really look at the geographic dispersion of homelessness and of mm. unsheltered homelessness in our community. And one of the things we did notice is that um, people are not concentrated in the downtown chorus as much as they were in 2020. So whereas you know, a, a good portion of folks were counted in 2020 in, in the, around downtown and, and UT and, and um, more central parts of, of Austin. Um, we noticed that that is not the case uh, in this year, that there's a little bit more geographic dispersion this year. Hmm. And do we have any yeah. indication as to why that might be? I mean, I know um, a lot of the services tend to be clustered in the downtown region, although that is starting to change a little bit as well. That's true. So I think there are a couple of reasons for that. I, I think one is, as I mentioned, the, the, the camping ban. I mean, I, um, the city of Austin does have um, open data about the, the location of, of the enforcement of the camping ban. And, and actually it it hasn't been updated since September, but one of the things that we noticed in the data is that most of the citations for Prop B for, for the camping ban um, was where most of the citations were in downtown. And so I think hmm. that's probably causing people to 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 move. Uh, another thing we just know anecdotally is that there's been a lot of sweeps more recently, including, you know, um, leading up to the point in time count. Um, you know, from some of our team leads, um, who some of some of whom are intimately working on the ground, who are working with the community, who uh, are in parks and and across the, the county, um, we we know from from them anecdotally again that there were a number of sweeps leading up to to the point time count. And so that again would, would potentially cause folks to, to be dispersed a little bit more or to try to move around a little bit more and away from more central parts of, of Austin and Travis County. 
I think the other thing that you mentioned um, is also right, which is that some of the services are not as concentrated in, in downtown as maybe they used to be. And, and I think one of the, for example, I think one, um, one of our main service providers is Sunrise Navigation Center and that, and they're located in you know, South Austin. Um, and so it's, it's possible that folks are, you know, maybe living closer to there because that's where a lot of services are, are being provided. Uh, but, but it's not just there, right? There's, there are uh, locations across the, um, uh, the county as well at this point. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Another thing that stuck out, you know, from the point in time count, uh, speaking about where people are, um, the report mentions kind of an uptick in folks in green spaces, um, right. seeking unsheltered, you know, um, you know, kind of living in, in our parks and green belts and things like that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, I think related to what I just said, I think that people are, are again, moving away from the downtown core and I think, um, and, and probably trying to seek shelter in our green spaces. And that might just be, uh, and, and this is, you know, what we looked at is we, we looked at the geographic, uh, boundaries of all these city of Austin public parks uh, just to see. And then, you know, our point time count is geolocated. So we were able to, we know where people were counted and we saw a really big uptick in the number of people who were um, living in green spaces, as as you mentioned. So uh, in 2020, we estimate that about 5% of people were counted in, uh, in, City of Austin owned parks, uh, nature preserves, and green belts. And that number went up to about 14% this year. Um, again, I think that's most likely related to the camping ban. You know, we can't know for sure because we don't ask people, you know, did you move here because of the camping ban? But uh, but we suspect that that's, that's one of the reasons for that. Yeah. And so, you know, another thing that kind of comes up in this point in time count is, um, and we also talk about sheltered homelessness and kind of there's always been a, a lot of questions in our community, especially when we were talking about the camping ban and things like that is how many beds do we have available? How much space do we have? Um, you know, you mentioned uh, some of the sweeps in, in theory, you know, some of the city's program is supposed to be that if a camp like that closes, people are offered a space and, you know, a bridge shelter, or transitional housing, and then hopefully onto housing. What is the point in count, time count? show us about kind of the the resources we have um, to help actually house people in Austin? Yeah. Um, you know, one of the the things from from that we do at the same time that we do the point time count is we look at our inventory. So it's 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 called the housing inventory count and that's another piece of information that we send to HUD. But it also, you know, really helps us understand the capacity that we have as a homelessness response system to house people, whether that's permanently or temporarily, if they're experiencing a crisis or if they're living unsheltered and they just need a a place to stay for a couple of days. And so um, we we did see this year that we, the resources and the capacity we have in our system has gone up, um, especially when it comes to shelter beds in 2023, we saw an uptick there uh, relative to 2020 um, and 2019. So it, it was an uptick of about uh, 28% in our shelter system um, since 2019. 
Um, but really one of the things that I think is most encouraging is that our permanent supportive housing capacity has gone up significantly since 2019. Uh, it's gone up about 60% since, since that mm -hmm. year. Um, and, and that is our most intensive, um, our most intensive supportive, ho supportive housing intervention uh, that is intended for people who have high medical needs, uh, high housing instability. So they, they have a history of chronic homelessness. They have a, a, a disability. Um, and, and, and so permanent supportive housing, what that does is it provides housing for folks, but it also provides wraparound services that can help folks stay in their housing and, and maintain st stable housing. And so, again, we've noticed that that number, that capacity to, to house people in that particular intervention has gone up significantly. Um, we also, we've, our rapid rehousing uh, capacity has also stayed relatively high. Um, it, one of the tricky things about how, you know, that uh, that's in this data is that HUD has certain requirements about how we count capacity. Um, in this case, you know, with rapid rehousing, which is a more short-term intervention, it's, it's about six months to 24 months of rental assistance for the most part for people who, who, who need, uh, you know, a, just some, some short-term support. Right. Maybe they lost their yeah. job. Maybe they were hurt at work or something. Exactly. Can't work for a certain amount of time. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and so rapid rehousing, um, the way we count that is that we count the number of people who are actually using that subsidy or that, or that intervention. Um, and that number has gone down a little bit uh, since 2022. And so the, you know, the, the thing there, I think is that the thing to note there is that we think that our capacity actually to in rapid rehousing is pretty high and we've got thousands of, of uh, people who could be served by rapid rehousing, but the rental market in Austin is so tight and so, you know, so difficult for people to, you know, to, to get into housing that, you know, we're just having a harder time housing people in those units. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's just, that's something that's an ongoing struggle for our community um, but it's, I, I think it's especially notable in our rapid housing numbers. Yeah. And, you know, one, one thing that, you know, I always wonder, I feel like comes up in the conversation a lot is also comparing when you looked at, um, you look at our number of, um, unsheltered, you know, people experiencing unsheltered homelessness for sheltered homelessness, um, how many beds are available? Like, is it a resource, you know, like on any given night, do we have bed space available that some percentage of those folks could access it or is it that it's not accessible or that it's there, but it's, it's not a good service and people don't really want to be in these environments. What does the data show us a bit on that? The short answer is that it's a little bit of both. Right. Um, you know, we're not uh, with many of these interventions, we're not at a hundred percent capacity, you know, uh, but uh, we are, you know, we, over the years and over the last you know, couple of years, um, our capacity numbers that, you know, the, the, I guess a different way to say this is that the proportion of, of, of beds that we have that people are using are hovers around 85%, 90%, depending on what it is. Uh, you know, people are 
are staying in our shelters and are using rapid rehousing from supportive housing. So it's not low by any means, but, but there are, you know, um, people who may not prefer to be in, in a shelter, right? That's, that's, a, that's um, something that we hear oftentimes. We've, we've conducted some research on that. And some people have, you know, are, are distrustful of systems like this, maybe especially folks who maybe have been in jail or who have, you know, who have, um, have been involved in these kinds of systems maybe are, are distrustful of, of shelters. And, and, um, and so it's, it's a little bit of, it's a mix of both. Um, I will say that for the most part, you know, when we look at the numbers that, especially with our permanent supportive housing and our rapid rehousing, I do think that we are, we need more capacity. We need, you know, more resources for those particular interventions. Those are the permanent housing interventions in part because we know that permanent housing is the best way to end someone's homelessness. Um, and for the long, in the, in the long run, um, you know, we often, one of the main things that we look at on a regular basis is how often people return to homelessness once they have used the service, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we know that our, the rate that people return to homelessness is much lower if they do have rapid rehousing or permanent supportive housing support. Um, and so that's, you know, that's why we advocate for more resources in those two particular interven- interventions. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, with those interventions, it seems like it's also addressing, you know, some some of the two more common stories you hear about homelessness, which is people falling into it because, you know, a bad break. They're They're already kind of living paycheck to paycheck. They lose a job. They have to take care of a sick parent, whatever it might be it's really expensive to live here, you know, and then they get in a cycle. That's, that's kind of the, the rapid rehousing, the rental assistance support that might prevent some, someone from ever becoming homeless in the first place. And then they get their job back or their incident, you know, whatever it was ends and they're back on track. And then versus seems like permanent supportive housing, you're talking about folks that maybe have some, some deeper, maybe underlying issues, more advanced medical care, things like that, that would prevent them from, you know, maybe just a little rental assistance, that's, that's not going to do it. Right. Is that kind of exactly? That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, you know, speaking more about the data, I know that uh, Echo has a few different data sets. We have this point in time count, um, but Echo also keeps a dashboard, right? And there's kind of another number that I've um, seen on there around like 4,000 people experiencing homelessness in the city versus, you know, this number, which was like 2,300. Can you explain those two numbers or kind of what we're talking about there from a data perspective? Sure. Yeah. I mean, one of the, I mean, I think one of the main takeaways for me about trying to estimate the scope of homelessness is it's a very difficult mm-hmm. number to, to nail down. It's, it's for, you know, one, one thing is it's a very, uh, transient population um, that people go in and out of homelessness, you know, and, and so, so because of some of the limitations of point time count, which is that it's on one night, um, every two years, there are, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, there are some limitations to it in terms of what HUD requires. And so because of those limitations, we also use administrative data. So, and, and to try to kind of, Put that very briefly. What we do is we manage, Echo manages a database, a centralized database that um, uh, all of the different service providers in Austin and Travis County use. You know, they collect information about 
people that they're serving, people that they're, they outreach to, people that um, seek services. Um, and so we manage that database. And based on those numbers, we try to estimate how many people are experiencing homelessness at any given time. And we update that on a monthly basis. Um, there are some limitations to that as well, to that method as well. Part of it is that we are basing it on people who are taking a coordinated assessment, which is our centralized survey that people take to, it's, it's, a, prioritiz it's a prioritization tool, excuse me, um, which means that you know, people take the survey, they get on a wait list um, or a binding list. Um, and then we, you know, we try to prioritize those folks to, to receive permanent housing um, assistance. And so we're basing our dashboard number, our dashboard estimate on, on people who take the coordinated assessment. So that also has its limitations. Um, we, also, we also, because we know that homelessness is transient and, um, you know, we don't, you know, we, we look at people, we, we also estimate the time that someone is homeless. So we, we mm. think that a lot of folks are, uh, they may take an assessment and we may not see them again for months. But if, 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 they, if they're touching the system in some way, maybe they um, are taking an assessment and then they go into shelter. Um, it, if we suspect, if we see that they've been engaged in the last six months and they have not been housed, we estimate that, you know, we, we think that that person's probably still experiencing homelessness, mm -hmm. right? And so it, it's a little bit more of a complicated way to, 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 uh, to estimate the, the scope of homelessness, but we think it, it's a more accurate reflection of this, the, the need that we have in our community. Um, and then that's why we, you know, we continue to, to update it on, on a regular basis. So. Okay, gotcha. And, you know, kind of kind of tied to that, and I know that number, that 4,000 number, I think is kind of newer that Echo's been looking at the data in this alternative way, um, because I don't know, it's so interesting. You know, I, I watch a lot of council meetings and just talking to a lot of people in town. I feel like there's this maddening feeling of like, what is what's happening here? You know, especially for people who have lived in our city for a long time and I think understood like. We've, we've always had some segment of the population that's experiencing homelessness and it just feels like it's grown so, so, so much. And you look at the numbers and you're like, I don't know, I'm, I'm not seeing it here. And we've had this policy flip-flop back and forth. And it's just so hard to pinpoint like what's working, where are we at? Like, why is this happening? <laughs> this is like a huge question to ask. I don't, I don't really know where I'm going with it necessarily, but when you talk, I'm sure people ask you this all the time. And as someone who's looking at the data, Kind of how do you how do you start to address or engage in a conversation about like where we're at and kind of how we got to this point? Yeah, well, that's a great question uh, and a very big one. But but I think that you know I try to um, I, I try to encourage people to not just look at that big underlying number, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think actually one of the things about the point in time count is it is it. It, it spotlights one number so much that I think it, it actually takes us away from having a conversation about the underlying causes of homelessness, the underlying demographic breakdowns of homelessness, the, you know, the mm. disparities we see. And so part of the reason that we really encourage people and we're, we are pushing, we're being very transparent with the data. You know, we push it out once a month is that we want to look at not just that one number, but we want to look at 
household type. We want to look at racial disparities. We want to look at how many people are moving in, how many people are exiting, how many people are going through the system and how long it's taking them to go through the system. Because unfortunately, one of the things we see is that it takes longer and longer for people to get housed again because of the, mm. the market. And so we, we have a lot of that data on our dashboard in part because I think we want to encourage that kind of conversation, which is, you know, we want to look at what's working, what's not working. And, and I think if we focus so much on that point in time number or that, you know, that just that one number, I think we lose some of that. Um, and so that's what I would encourage is that, you know, folks kind of look at the dashboard or our other reports, you know, we put out two or three yearly reports that really assess our gaps in the system. Mm. We look at racial disparities and we, we, we put out a racial disparities report once a year. Um, and, and I think that gives us a better idea of where we should be um, directing our resources to. And, and, the, the, um, and, and that's, and that's what we're trying to encourage. We're also, you know, we're, trying to do more qualitative research projects because we know that we these this HMIS data that HMIS is the acronym acronym for the centralized database it only gives us a limited amount of information about people and so we really want to understand from the qualitative work you know why are people falling into homelessness why are people not accessing services you know one of the things we looked at this past year is why people of color and and, and in particular black people in, in Austin are not accessing um, uh, our system, and and again, you know, questions of distrust and, and um, have, have come up a lot. And so we really, and, and yeah, so I don't know if I answered your question, but I really I'm trying to we're trying to encourage people to kind of look at the the array of data that we have out there to to really better understand um, the scope of homelessness, the causes of homelessness, um, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, another thing kind of tied to the point in time count, I guess one benefit is it does allow you to maybe see other communities or compare across other communities in the country. My understanding is this, this is something that cities all over the United States are seeing increases in their, in their numbers. Can you talk just briefly about that? This isn't like a uniquely Austin situation. Are you seeing similar stories in, in other major cities across the U S? Yeah. Well, I haven't had a chance to, you know, and I, Mm -hmm. not every community has put out their data yet. um, And I think probably in the next six months, we'll get 2023 numbers from HUD. Um, Okay. Gotcha. But yes, it's, you know, I know, for example, Houston saw a slight decrease in their unsheltered count. um, And, and um, uh, yeah, I'm I'm not sure right now. Um, I will say that one of the really hard things about comparing across cities and across counties is that even though HUD provides some guidance about how to conduct an unsheltered count, communities do it differently across the country. Hmm. You know, so some communities use hundreds of volunteers, some communities actually just use service providers and only use dozens of folks. It's, it, it varies so much. Um, weather variations. I mean, there's all kinds of things that go into it that make it to where looking across the country, especially with when most of the counts are volunteer led, which I think is a great thing, but, but has its limitations for sure. Right. Um, makes it really hard to, to do that comparison. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And then, you know, just 
just before we close, um, if people are, um, you know, interested in learning more about homelessness in Austin, want to get involved in, you know, helping to end homelessness in Austin, you know, we're always trying to look for ways for people to be a part of their community. Any recommendations, places they can go? Obviously, I'm sure they can visit Echo's website to read some of your reports, but any recommendations for how folks can can get involved? Sure. I, you know, um, yeah, in addition to, I think, going to our website, um, the, you know, the city's homeless services division is always presenting to city council and the public health committee. Um, so you can always follow, I think, what the city's response is. Um, there's been a lot of, there's a lot, been a lot of resources um, gone to the city in the last year or so, or, or a couple of years. And so I think, I think really following what they are up to, I think is a great way to be engaged um, in the process uh, or to really understand homelessness as well. Um, but I would also say that I think tr trying to get a better sense of how other policies are affecting homelessness would also be a great kind mm. of way to, to really understand homelessness. Because I, I think there are so many contributing factors to homelessness that if we don't understand criminal justice reform and, and mental health, it, um, you know, mental health policies that we are, um, that we're enacting in, in Travis County, for example, I know you recently did an episode on the diversion center. So I think mm -hmm. that can have a big influence on homelessness and vice versa. And so we, so trying to really understand the other policy areas that are really going to affect homelessness, including camping ban, including affordable housing policies, including, you know, land, um, land use reform, all of those things, I think it gets complicated, but I think that those are um, other ways to really try to, to be involved. Um, you know, I, and I would also just put a pitch in there for really trying to make sure that we, you know, build housing, affordable housing for folks. Um, and I think that's, um, you know, we unfortunately often get on our, in our own way with that, you know, we don't build enough housing, affordable housing. And I think that is a big contributing factor to increases in homelessness. Like there's, there's plenty of research out there that shows that there is such a direct uh, correlation between affordable housing and homelessness that I think really trying to understand affordable housing policy would, would also go, uh, would also be really. And that was Akram Alturk. And stay tuned because we're hopefully going to be able to bring Akram back on our show soon for a deeper dive into those other reports he was mentioning, as well as the root causes of homelessness in our community. But for now, that's our show for today. The Austin Common Radio Hour is brought to you in partnership by the Austin Common and Co-op Radio. The Austin Common is a local news source that helps Austinites be informed and make a difference in their community. You can learn more about the Austin Common by visiting theaustincommon.com or following us on Instagram at the underscore Austin underscore common. Co-op is a cooperatively run community radio station based right here in Austin, Texas. To listen to more of Co-op's amazing lineup of shows, visit koop.org or tune in to 91.7 FM. This show is hosted by me, Amy Stansbury, and produced by John Hoffner. You can find podcasts of the Austin Common Radio Hour on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcast. And one quick friendly request on this, if you like our show and you find it useful, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing on your favorite podcast app.
It really helps us to be seen and heard by more folks in Austin. So thank you in advance if you're able to do that for us. Thanks for listening.